All right, we are back. That was Holly Miranda with Come On. We'll listen to a, a little more of that later on. But right now, I have Ken Jennings standing by, and his name sounds familiar. He is a Jeopardy! champion, and he's a New York Times bestselling author of Maphead and Because I Said So, and his latest book, Planet Funny, How Comedy Took Over Our Culture. Good morning, Ken. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. I really enjoyed your book. Tell me uh, a little backstory behind what made you write this. Well, it's an odd choice. I mean, people have seen me for six months on Jeopardy, but they know Jeopardy contestants are not funny. So <laughs> it does seem like a bit of a stretch or a bit of hubris to think I could write a book about comedy. But I've been a comedy geek my whole life. I love it. The book's kind of a love letter to the jokes and the funny people I love. Mm-hmm. But I have noticed that in recent years, as more and more of our culture has been taken over by comedy, um, everything from news to advertising, uh, politics, even um, church marquees and those little uh, airline safety uh, instructional videos—it's—it's <laughs> it's starting to feel a little oppressive. I feel like I don't enjoy my favorite thing as much as I used to now that it's taken over our whole culture. Well, those those airline things when normally you know they play something really dry and boring, and I guess I feel like we've all stop paying attention so they have to be funny and goofy and you know off key and strange (laughs) i think that's one thing that's happened once part once something in a culture seems funny the things that are still serious look stodgy and old-fashioned by comparison so worried organizations race to keep up but you know i've been on flights where uh you know i was sitting next to an older couple watching one of those crazy airline videos that was it was starring people from internet memes doing all the demonstrations and this couple had no idea what they were watching. They could not figure out that this was even a safety video. They were like, what has happened to our country? Exactly. <laughs> so what was the process like writing this book? Did you have a clear you know, plan, or did this kind of evolve? The book evolved quite a bit, because it took me a few years to write. I was pretty nervous about writing a book about comedy when I'd never even you know, picked up a mic or taken a single improv class. So I, I was doing a lot of reading, everything from... Greek comic playwrights like Aristophanes up through the 1960s and laughing. You know, I kind of wanted to feel like I had my finger on the pulse of exactly how comedy was changing. And while I was writing the book, comedy kept changing. You know, I, I was on Twitter, which was kind of breaking my brain with its, you know, incredible joke density, hundreds of jokes an hour on right. social media now, like more than we can ever keep up with. Of course. And more and more people were getting their news from comedy and satire shows. And while I was just finishing up the book, um, you know, a new president got elected kind of on the strength of his, of his entertaining showman quality more than on any uh, particular political qualification. And that changed the ending of the book as well. Tell me some key things you would like readers to know about this book. Um, I hope that they know that it's affectionate to comedy. Mm-hmm. I was a class clown when I was a kid. And I was staying up late every night to watch Letterman and Saturday Night Live, and, you know, this was kind of semi-forbidden in my house to watch late-night TV. Oh, really? And I remember, and, <laughs> sure, yeah. I mean, that's always the fun of comedy, that your mom doesn't want you to have those mad magazines or to be watching Beavis and Butthead. Right. And you sort of feel like it's, you're entering into a secret world that mom and dad just would not understand. And I, I honestly think that's why comedy changes so fast, um, mm-hmm. that... You know, it's, it's, a, it's a phenomenon of, of youth culture, people wanting to make sure their jokes are different than whatever they feel mom or dad used to laugh at. One, um, one thing that um, surprised me, Ken, is that you grew up in South Korea. I did, actually. My dad was a lawyer in Seoul, Korea, 
And that's actually what drove my childhood love of Jeopardy. We had exactly one TV channel, thanks to U.S. Armed Forces TV. And so me and all my friends had to watch the exact same shows at the exact same time all day because there was only one English language channel. And what the Army happened to put on every day after school was Jeopardy. So we were all obsessive Jeopardy fans by fifth grade, mostly because it was compulsory. There was literally nothing Nothing else else to watch, right. But it's a wonderful thing. I mean, how educational, and look where it got you. It definitely changed my life. If the Army had put on Wheel of Fortune after school, we would not be having this conversation. (laughs) And you had a 74-game victory streak worth $2.52 million. Whoa. (laughs) That was a pretty crazy summer. I did not see that coming. Unbelievable. What was the process like getting on Jeopardy? Um, I think today there's a a test you can take online. Mm -hmm. But at the time, you had to wait for Jeopardy to come to your town and, like, administer uh, quizzes at the mall to see who was good. In my case, a friend and I drove out to L.A. just to try out for the show, which you're not supposed to do. It's, It's super long odds to be on Jeopardy. They only need... What, a couple hundred people a year, I guess, 400 people a year. Yeah. And they just got thousands and thousands trying out. But uh, we both took the test, which is, kind of, which is a very difficult 50-question written test. Mm-hmm. And then we both passed that. So you do a little in-person demonstration of uh, that you can stand up and smile and press the button. And then they just <laughs> say, okay, don't call us, we'll call you. And about a year later, my phone actually rang. I had totally forgotten about it. A year later. Yeah, you're uh, you're eligible for a year. So by the time they actually called me at work, I was like, oh, right, we tried out for Jeopardy last spring. I was not counting on that call at all. Unbelievable. And then you went on to write Brainiac. Yeah, I had always wanted to be a writer. Um, but I got married uh, the same year I graduated from college, and we really needed, you know, income. We needed a rent, a rent paid. And so I went to work for a friend's Internet startup and got into computers that way. But I was never that great at it, and I was not enjoying it a lot. And so I was always wondering, what else could I do? Should I go back to, should I go to law school? Should I see if I can find a different job, you know? And instead, I happened to go on Jeopardy and got a book deal after that, and I've been writing full-time ever since. So it's actually what I wanted to do in school. I was going to ask you, what were you doing before Jeopardy, before you auditioned for a career? Yeah, I was an unhappy computer programmer. Uh-huh. And kind of a, you know, office cut-up type. You know, it's, it's been a pleasure writing about comedy because it's something I've been thinking about my whole life. Yes. Um, especially since I, especially since, you know, you get on Twitter and you can start quipping and riffing with uh, actual famous comedians and gifted comedy writers. It's kind of a weird comedy utopia that exists on right. social media today. Right. But uh, again, with all those jokes out there, I felt like, shouldn't we be happier if everything's funnier than ever? Why? You know, what's, what's the problem with having too much humor? Exactly. Why is that? <laughs> well, there's a, couple, there's a couple problems. I think one is that uh, there's a, a process in our brains called the hedonic treadmill, which means that as we get more and more pleasurable stimuli, you know, things that make us happy, mm-hmm. each individual one makes us less and less happy because that becomes the new baseline of the brain. We come to expect all that happy input. Um, and I think there's also the problem that a lot of the race towards jokes in our culture has not been an organic process. It's come from powerful people and organizations learning that humor is a really powerful and, uh, and persuasive tool and figuring out how to co-opt it, how to commodify it. Yeah. Um, you know, ad agencies insisting that every ad be funny now so that you'll buy an inferior product because the ad was goofy. Uh, the CIA getting a, getting a kind of a sarcastic 
snarky Twitter account mm-hmm. to make jokes about its own secretive reputation. Crazy. I mean, jokes used to be our weapon against the establishment, and now they've figured out how to uh, how to weaponize it against us. It's it's a it's an unusual dynamic. Unbelievable. Now the name of my show is Get the Funk Out. So. How do you stay positive when, you know, you've done all different careers, you're on Jeopardy. Were there any, uh, you know, downsides to being on that show? Um, yes, but, you know, minimal ones. Oh, good. Getting, getting you know, getting a selfie requests every time you go out to eat. And I guess also just the stress of being on a game show for months and months and not knowing how it's going to end. Right. Um, you know, I'm like everybody else. I have, I have down moments, but... Um, but I got to say, being on a game show for six months in a row and winning a lot of money is a pretty good cure for any kind of summertime blues. Yes, not too shabby, Ken. <laughs> so I guess that would be my recommendation. <laughs> if you're not feeling great today, just try out for a game show. You never know. I feel like writing has always been your calling, and it's great you're getting a chance to do it. I feel very lucky. You know, they say there are no second acts in American lives, but I kind of learned that's not true. You know, it's not too late to stop and look at your life and think, do I have talents I'm not using? Like, what, how, can I, how can I change my life so that I spend more time doing the stuff I'm actually good at? Yes. And uh, I believe in that wholeheartedly. Now, before we wrap up, you have a podcast. Tell me about that. Oh, yeah, I do. My friend uh, John Roderick, uh, musician John Roderick, and I do a show twice a week called Omnibus, mm-hmm. where we explain strange and funny stories from human history and culture. But we're, we're, the idea is that we're creating a time capsule for the successors to the human race, you know, in a thousand years from now, when the, the lizard people have taken over the earth or whatever, they're going to want to know who Millie Vanilli was <laughs> and what the what the Thirty Years' War was, and we're hoping they'll find our they'll find our, our time capsule, and we can explain these things to them. The lizard people. <laughs> well, I don't know. They could be lava men. They could be super intelligent okay. coral reefs. We don't really know. We we try to be uh, pretty ecumenical when okay. we speak to them on the show because we don't know what species our listeners actually are. That's true. That's true. Well, oh, we've got a wrap, but where can people find out more about you? Uh, I am at ken-jennings.com. Don't forget the hyphen, or you get the guy in Florida who would not sell me his URL. Okay. <laughs> All right, perfect. I want to thank you so much for calling in. Congratulations on your book. Uh, You've gotten some great praise for Planet Funny, how comedy took over our culture. Thanks so much, Ken. Thanks for inviting me. My pleasure. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. That was Ken Jennings. He's uh, the Jeopardy! champion and New York Times bestselling author of MapHead and Because I Said So. And if you've missed any part of our conversation, it will be up on the show blog, getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. And there's a great picture of him holding up his latest book. Uh, and the complete description of the book right now on the show blog. We'll take a little break, and then I'll be back with my last guest, author Anne Hood, and we're going to talk about um, her latest book, She Loves You, Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. And uh, she's best-selling, critically acclaimed author. She's written The Knitting Circle, so many other great books. So she'll be on in just a moment. You are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine.